0: This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support this podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, Bulls fans, and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Eye Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Bet Online. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show, and thank you to you for joining us on this episode of the show. On today's show, we're we'll talking Bulls, obviously with more front office news and rumors coming out over the last week. some There's also some ill will potentially sort of brewing between Zach Levine and, and Jim Boylan after this recent loss to the Phoenix Suns, so we definitely want to talk about that, as well as the mounting list of injuries that the Bulls, unfortunately, are going through right now. We'll be talking about that and plenty more, and here to do it all with me is my new co-host. You all know him as the worst prophet going around, but to me, he's just my good friend, the one, the only, C-Red Fred. How are you, sir?
1: Hey, brother. I've been uh, better... Definitely still struggling to get over this uh, cold slash cough. It's probably turning into something more serious, but uh, I'm, I'm battling through all la Laurie Markin, who uh, clearly battled through a lot this year. Uh, let's hope my uh, my results are much stronger.
0: Yeah, the voice definitely doesn't sound as strong and as in peak form as, yeah, as you're as used beautiful. to, so I won't ask you yeah. to sing any songs today or anything <laughs> I like so. that, not that... Not that I was going to ask you anyway, but.
1: <laughs> well, I got a couple of good tunes that um, I'm going to come out with. I, I know I've been talking about this for a long time, but over the course of the last decade, I wrote a couple of great songs. One was called Heinrich, uh, another one was called Rip Hamilton. That's a beautiful song. I can't wait to show you. Another one about Thibodeau uh i gotta coach Are they keep- just
0: called after people's names do, do you <laughs> yeah. have more creativity to the old sub title tr-
1: trust me these, these are creative works of genius that I, I think i'm gonna amaze and inspire but uh i just gotta find time to do it the good news is the team sucks so bad that i'm gonna use uh probably game time to start working on these tunes and uh i will find time as my schedule clears up in march so uh, rest assured good stuff is on the horizon brother
0: well, I can't wait to hear it, mate. Two birds, one stones. You can get out the old acoustics, start penning some stuff whilst the game's are on in the background. Who's even watching it these days? Probably not many people. And to be honest with you, I had the Suns game on in the background. We're recording this on a Saturday night, Chicago time. I was kind of watching the game. You didn't watch the game, which you, you had a prior event on, which is more than fine and more than reasonable, to be honest with you. I I was just sitting around. I had nothing better to do, so... Technically, I was watching the game, but I wasn't really viewing anything or wasn't seeing anything, so to speak. It was just background noise for me. But I guess the main talking points out of this out of this loss to the Suns was the fact that the Bulls again blew another big lead that they had. Oh, well, not a big lead, but they blew another lead or a chance to win this game in the third quarter, as they've typically done a lot this season. Kobe White was really good. He probably had his best probably his best game of his rookie season thus far, 33 points for him off the bench. I thought he was quite damn good. But what happened post-game is probably going to be the biggest story coming out of this game You know, for the remainder of the next couple of days. I think it's certainly going to be a talking point over the next couple of days as the Bulls go up against the Wizards on Sunday night. Obviously, you didn't see it, but it's something that, that, that happened towards the back end of the fourth quarter where Jim Boylan, again, as he's been doing lately, Calls a timeout when the Bulls, well and truly, are not going to be in, in the game. There, there's, there's 30 seconds left. They're down 10. Clearly, they're not going to win the game at that point, but he's call, he calls a timeout to draw up a play, of course, for a valuable teaching moment at that point. And when the players are coming back onto the court, you, the cameras called Zach Levine muttering some words towards, well, not towards Boylan, but about Boylan, essentially saying why the F are you calling a timeout now, which is... Zach is basically showing the same emotions that we fans are sort of feeling and experiencing at at this point. And Boylan was asked post-game, you know, what he made about Zach's frustration and the fact that cameras caught him expressing that frustration. Boylan at that time didn't even know it had happened. So after his post-game comments, he and Zach had a bit of a meetup to discuss the whole issue to hash it out. And of course, the media then went to Zach to get his response. But it just seems like there's some beef building between these two guys and um uh, it's 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 been long coming. I mean it's been existent almost last season as well when Zach was questioning the offense last December, January. But obviously, uh like us fans, the players themselves are probably uh, not too thrilled with their old coach here, Freddie.
1: Well, yeah, I don't think anybody could be thrilled with the coach. I think we've kind of talked about this ad nauseum, it's the worst coaching job I've ever seen. In the history of the Chicago Bulls, I think he's a complete incompetent doofus, and he absolutely deserves to be fired at the end of the season and go on to where he should have been all along as an assistant coach with some other organization. Uh, but no no, no team, no player, no coach is immune from criticism for this disgusting lot, and that goes with Zach Levine. I'm kind of sick of hearing Zach should have made the all-star team, Zach this, Zach that. Uh, Zach's been really good at times this year, and he's the, probably out of all the players and members of this organization, he's the one to be least critical of. However, we just lost two games to the Suns and the Hornets, two of the worst teams in the league at home. If you're all that and you're Mr. All-Star, you can't shoot three of 15 from three over the course of two games. He was a negative 18 when he was on the stick in court tonight. He sucked. He sucked. And he sucked last game. So... I don't care if it's Zach Levine or it's Coach Boylan. Boylan's an incompetent doofus. I expect more out of Zach Levine. And you have to, I don't care how many injuries we have, you have to win one of those two games at home if you're healthy and you're an alleged all-star. It's inexcusable. Inexcusable. He played terrible the last game. And looking at his stats tonight, yes, I did not wish to watch the game. But two of eight from three and a minus 18 when he was on the court Ain't cutting it. It's not cutting it. So uh, every guy on this team and every member of this organization deserves criticism. No one is immune from it. And that's Zach Levine too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree. I probably wouldn't go as strongly as what you just did, but I, I certainly understand your point And uh, I definitely agree with the larger, larger point you're making, obviously. The Bulls now 19 and 38 on the season, terrible, terrible record, even in spite of these injuries. But to your point, their last two games that they've played, once the the, their first game after the All Star game, playing a team that's pretty comparable to them, the Charlotte Hornets team, who isn't good, who hasn't been playing good over the last 20, 30, 20 to 30 games, they got beat in that one. Now the Phoenix Suns, another team that's 10 to 12, 14 games under 500, whatever it is. Clearly, they're more healthy than the Bulls at this point, but To give up the lead the way they did, particularly after having a strong first half, not ideal as well from the Bulls. And had Kobe White not gone off the way he did, then this this would have been an absolute beatdown. So uh, I I hate to think where this game would have been had Kobe White not actually had his best game off his rookie of his rookie season. So yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's a tough one. I I get your point. Zach needs to be better. I'm one. I'm willing to give him a pass, given that he has been. The most consistent ball, the only one that's really keeping them in most of these games most of the time, but the boiling thing, it's, it's an issue because I don't understand why he thinks calling a timeout at this point does anything of a favor to anyone obviously it's going to have to piss off the opposing team that we've seen opposing coaches crack at a boiling for some of his antics but it's now creeping into his own locker room at this point and it's clearly not a good look when your best player is getting visibly frustrated on tv at the coach and then a, a, a post game is sort of expressing that disappointment i guess so just a weird weird situation for
1: it is a weird situation, but again, Zach Levine had seven turnovers a night, so I know he's frustrated with the coach calling timeout. We all are. It's stupid. It's moronic. No question about it. Zach Levine, if he's an All Star and you get thirty-three points from Kobe White, I expect better than seven turnovers and minus eighteen to eight from three. You know, so I, I do understand. He, he again, he's the least guy deserving of criticism. Thomas Sadaransky tonight, oh eight, minus fifteen out in the court. All I heard before the season, how great this signing was, how, what a great player he is. He's proven exactly what he was in Washington. He's a backup point guard. He's not a starting point guard in this league. He's been a massive disappointment to me. Uh, and, and I can go up and down this roster to coach his son, gets another freaking start. Two of eight from three, four turnovers, a minus 17. The guy is not a starter. He's not even – he shouldn't be remotely in any team who has, uh, who has hopes for the playoffs in the rotation. This is this is a full-fledged disaster. And I know there's a ton of injuries, and I know that's been an excuse for years. At some point, you got to start saying, well, the best ability is availability, and the Bulls don't have that. Um, why are these guys not coming back to play? This is another thing I don't understand. I'm already here in the con- contingent, we need a tank, we need a tank. This draft sucks. There's nobody that's an, 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 uh, an unequivocal number one, two, or three. You're probably going to find a guy at 14 who's just as good as a guy at one in a draft like this. At some point, we need to understand if Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Market and Zach Levine and Kobe White are really good. Are they going to be players that can form the core of a contender? And you can't do that when you have subpar players like Ryan A. And you know, and and uh Shaq Harrison and Adam McCaka thrown out there playing with these guys. You're not putting them in position to succeed. You need Thad Young and you need quality players like Otto Porter Jr. around them, so we can tell if these guys really have it or they really don't. But putting guys like Ryan A. in the starting lineup only breeds frustration. I've seen it at every level of basketball. I saw it with my fifth grade team when we had a couple good players out, and you replace good players with bad players, and it leads to frustration from your good players, and they don't develop. That's been part of this problem with this young core, they haven't had a chance to develop because they're playing with guys that belong in the G League. And I'm tired of it. So everybody who wants to tank and everybody's saying we should just, you know, sit everybody. I understand your point. I'm telling you you're wrong. Otto Porter Jr. needs to get off his rear end and play. Uh Wendell Carter Jr. needs to play. I don't know what we're waiting for. I'm sick of it.
0: I'm sick. They of clearly that. hurt Fred. I mean, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for them to get clearly not, hurt, not injured anymore. But that's—I think people that's...
1: have had their legs amputated, and have returned faster than this. This is a <laughs> joke, Mark. He was hurt on the ninth game of the season. I've never seen a, an injury take this long to come back with. It's pathetic, and it continually happens.
0: Well, that's—I want to talk about this. I think. I understand your frustration, but I want to come at this from a different perspective because I don't know if it's on the players so much as it is on the training and medical staff because we look, we spent a good chunk of last week's show talking about these potential front office changes that may or may not be coming. Everyone wants to fire Jim Boyle and every fan wants to see that happen. But when when are we going to start hearing about some changes to the medical staff or the the processes that they employ in terms of getting these players back? I mean, Chandler Hutchinson, he got hurt just before the All-Star game. Should he have even been playing at that point because he was sort of pushing through and carrying an injury and just trying to make it to the all-star break before um breaking down at that point? So I I I want to know more about the medical staff, their process, the way they go about this whole thing is because, I mean, should these players even be pushing through? I mean, Lowry Markin has a stress fracture at the moment or is at least managing that situation so it doesn't turn into that. But shouldn't Larry Markham have been pulled earlier? And maybe if he was, maybe he's not suffering sort of through the injury he is right now. Those sorts of questions are the ones that sort of linger in my mind. Yeah, sure. Some of these are freak injuries and, and the like. But we we don't really know what's happening with Otto Porter, to your point. And is that a communication issue? Is that the way the Bulls have managed that injury? I, I don't know. It's just too many questions. And that's unfortunate, obviously, for us as the fans here. But it just seems like every year, there is some sort of injuries that completely derails this season. And to your point, I mean, availability is the best ability. But at some point, is this all on the players or is this on the training and medical staff? I think think they need to be reviewed at this point or at the end of the season if we're also doing that with the front office and the coaching staff as well.
1: I mean, sure. Let's review everything. But I will state that this marketing injury, when it happened, I'm reading conflicting reports like – Oh, if this was the playoffs, he'd still be able to play. Well, if that was the case, why is it almost a month later and we still have no end in sight? When is he coming back? He's been hurt every stinking year. There's always something with this guy. There's always something with Otto Porter Jr. And unfortunately, it seems like there's always something with Wendell Carter Jr. Now, I don't know how a trainer prevents the injury to Wendell Carter. He falls on his thumb. He gets a high ankle sprain. I don't care who the trainer is. I don't see how you prevent those. So I I agree. There's been far too many injuries. But I also I I don't understand why these guys are taking so long to get back. So, yeah, let's look at the the training staff and see if there's more that we can be doing. But I have serious concerns that maybe we've just drafted a bunch of, you know, uh, delicate players. Chris Dunn's consistently hurt. I mean, and I know a lot of them were freak injuries. He fell on his face. He had Dad Young fall into his knee. You can't always prevent that stuff. But, man, oh, man, this is a joke. Every t- the last three years, I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, what I find is most frustrating is that even though Otto Porter Jr. was out, it's it's like the team didn't play anywhere as near where I thought they should have uh, with just that injury. I know he's a key player. I know he's a linchpin for where we should be, but they still disappointed me massively. Uh, I know a lot of it has to do with Boylan's decision to, you know, play his son at the three instead of going with Valentine. But it's, Mark, it's beyond frustrating. I don't even know what to say. It, I agree. Let's look at the training staff. Let's look at everything. Everything needs to be burned and thrown into the woodshed, but, uh, and an analyzed for, for um, termites. But I don't know what to do. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I can sense I – I don't know if you can sense this, but I'm kind of frustrated also. And also, my wife just walked in and looked at me with a stern look that I have to keep it down, I think, a little bit.
0: <laughs> so, there you go. Fair enough, though. I mean, that, that's certainly Everybody's
1: understandable. Everybody's to fight for
0: a <laughs> Well, I mean, some of it's uh, for, for good reason. Maybe some of it not necessarily – uh, for good reason you're probably getting a little too heated right now on a saturday evening in your time but um i think going back to your point about if these guys are potentially injury prone i think that means i mean if, if that is the case or it's not i don't know but if it is then you can't really have a roster where you only got sort of seven to eight guys that you're confident in of having in your rotation you need to foolproof your rotation to a degree get in 10 to 12 players who are all worthy and can command you know, 15, 20 minutes of a game time. That way, if you do have one or two guys go down, you you do have some ability to replace them and not sort of lose your season all of a sudden like the Bulls currently have. So you can't have or you can't be relying on Archie Diakno or Shaq Harrison or Makoka or Luke Cornett or Denzel Valentine. These players taking up valuable roster roster spots on your roster and you all of a sudden you lose one or two guys and these guys are sort of promoted into starting roles or, you know, key bench players. No, no wonder your, your, your season's going to sort of go off the rails here. So the boys need to be I don't de- know about
1: that. I don't think those are terrible players from, from 11 to 15 on the roster. It's just that they're but those guys have been playing.
0: they not necessarily 11, fifteen. Eleven to fifteen. Some of those guys are in the sort of that eight to ten range.
1: Well, that's because our idiot coach has elevated his son to that level, but he shouldn't be there. <laughs> I think we all understand this. We all should agree by now. The guy doesn't belong in the rotation, but he's been put there by you know coach. So it's a combination of things. We got a, we got a guy who shouldn't be coaching. We got a roster that's always hurt, and we got guys that shouldn't be on our NBA roster. And. Yeah, I agree. It's a combination of things. We, we should have looked for a better alternative than Shaq Harrison, who's essentially, what is the difference between Shaq Harrison and Ryan Archie? I can't believe he's starting. Like, there's really no difference in those two guys. One guy's a little bit better offensively. One guy's a little bit better defensively. They're, they're both very limited players who, I, I mean, they, they, what? They're going to probably be out of the league in three years. It's yeah. it's insane.
0: No, I I completely agree. I mean, one of those players had to be a wing. It it didn't make sense to bring them both back, particularly after drafting Kobe White. After signing... Tomas Adaranski, it doesn't make sense to bring back both of them, choose one, sign one of them, and then re- use that other spot on, on either a development player on the wing or a more experienced wing, someone else. Just They needed a wing at that point. I mean, Ben McLemore in, in Houston was picked up. He was on the scrap heap. Give him a chance. He's doing good things in Houston. Why couldn't the Bulls have been the one that have maybe signed him on a minimum deal, taken a chance on a wing rather than bringing back two two point guard, backup guards who are likely third stringers. It never made sense. So we're seeing that sort of play out now. And I guess... We can segue into our next topic because it always, always comes back to the front office. The the roster decisions, that's on the front office. Obviously, Boylan, that is certainly on the front office. But we should talk about the new news that is sort of filtering through about the potential front office changes. And we talked about it last week. I mentioned that before that we were talking about reports from Cowley and and Casey Johnson about – the fact that there is going to be some front office changes that may be coming along, they sort of expanded on that or went took that a little bit further this week when. It appeared, or at least there was a report came out that the Bulls have Pacers general manager Chad Buchanan at top of their list to be Gar Foreman's replacement. Or at least that's what we're to make of it. Because along with that reporting, it appears that John Paxson isn't going anywhere, so he is likely going to retain his position. I'm assuming, based on the reporter, the reporting currently, you would assume if Chad Buchanan is at top of their of the Bulls list, he will be the foreman replacement. Who knows if Buchanan even wants to come to the Bulls, but it's newsworthy news, Fred, and we should probably discuss it. What did you make about uh, about this news? We don't I, I, personally. At least, I don't know a ton about Chad Buchanan, but maybe you can enlighten me. What, what were your thoughts about this news and the Bulls' potential interest in Chad Buchanan? Um,
1: well, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that Chad Buchanan would be a, a good hire. I, I he's not my number one candidate. I don't understand. I, I don't I don't understand why it doesn't end begin and end with Isaiah Jerry. Like, why isn't that our first option? He's clearly the best GM option out there. Um, Why don't we go for him? I I know he's employed by the Toronto Raptors, but if we're the Chicago Bulls, let's think big, get creative, and go after the best possible GM out there. And I think Chicago is a step up from Toronto. I think Chicago is a step up from Indiana. I know we disagree on this, and we'll get into the reasons why later. But, um, you know, if Buchanan, I don't know. Maybe he will be a great answer. Big picture, I think there's other issues with the organization that need to be addressed and fixed before I don't care if it's Buchanan or, you know, whoever it is, we got to start acting like a major market team instead of some mid-market team. And to me, just the fact that the first answer is Buchanan kind of illustrates the problem.
0: Yeah, I look, I, I, I actually agree with you 100%. Now, the problem with Masai is he holds the same position as Pac, so... I mean, he is that the VP of Basketball Ops. So to to get Masai, he's obviously not going to be coming in as a general manager. He will come into that Paxson spot, but that is part of the problem. And I completely agree that I'm sick of the Bulls acting like a a mid level team or a small market team. If you want to if you want to relate it to that point, I mean, they they operate like they are the Indiana Pacers. So Chad Buchanan may be a more than capable executive. I mean. The news coming out in relation to Buchanan was he was heavily involved in his time at with Portland in terms of the drafting of Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge. He was key in them landing Damian Lillard. He's obviously done some good things in Indiana with their rebuild or their retooling after trading Paul George. So he's obviously been part of good teams, done some good moves, and and obviously knows his stuff. But to your point, rating the Indiana Pacers front office is a mid-market move type thing. Why aren't the Bulls... Going out there and sort of targeting someone like Messiah or someone similar, Sam Presti, someone like that, go after these big names. I mean, we like to make fun of the Knicks for doing these, these crazy or having these crazy hopes and dreams. But on some level, I kind of respect it that they actually go out there and at least trying to put their name in the hat with these sorts of. These big name executives, ones that are ultimately going to change the landscape of your team. so whilst I wouldn't expect Messiah to want to come to Chicago, just knock down the door and try and get him. Offer him a huge offer that he can't sort of he can't say no to at least at least give us those reports to at least have some faith that you're going after the best talent possible.
1: again, we're kind of touching on the problem. we've always been dancing around this issue and I think most of your listeners, this is what I wanted to go into. I kind of alluded to in a previous uh, inter- uh, exchange with you, I think on Twitter. In uh, DMs, like, did you see what Kevin Garnett said over the All-Star weekend?
0: Yeah, about uh, about Jordan?
1: Yeah, that's the problem. Like, this has been going on for 20-plus years, and that's the essence of the issue. And a lot of your listeners probably aren't aware of this. So let me just provide uh, the quickest history lesson on the Chicago Bulls that you'll ever get. Michael Jordan was drafted by Rod Thorne. He wasn't drafted by Jerry Krause. So the best player in the history of the game was already on the roster when Jerry Reinsdorf bought the team and hired Jerry Krause in 1985. Jerry Krause had a massive ego as big as his belly. And because of that, he knew he would never, ever get the credit for building a champion until he did it without Michael Jordan, the best player in the universe on that roster. So you flash forward to 1997 after the Bulls won their fifth title and he had the temerity to tell Phil Jackson that I don't care if you go 82 and 0 you're out after next season as the head coach despite despite knowing that Michael Jordan was already on record saying he would not play again for another coach in Chicago Bulls unless it was Phil Jackson at that moment the ownership stepped in and immediately I don't know reassigned Jerry uh, done something else with Jerry Krause because you have on paper the greatest player of all time. Clearly, still wanted to continue playing, but he made it clear that he would not play for anyone else but Phil Jackson. And you had an owner who said, "You're out after this," so he could bring in his buddy Tim Floyd. With Tim Floyd came Gar Foreman. That whole group that Jerry Krause ushered in was a disaster. I know the season seems bad. to Everybody, Jerry Krause in his first three years post Jordan, we won thirteen, seventeen. 15 games. What, how many wins do we have now, uh, Mark? We got 19. and we 19, 19 wins? We had that for a season, for a season for three straight years. So the ego, uh, you know, obviously the guy was incompetent. Uh, God rest his soul. I, I'm sure he's a nice man. But Jerry Jerry Reinsdorf sided with Jerry Kraus over the greatest player of all time. The Lakers gave Magic Johnson a slice of ownership before that. before Michael retired. Bulls didn't do that. That issue was talked about by Kevin Garnett this past weekend that was also referred to by Dwayne Wade in 2010. People forget about it. People jumped all over Dwayne Wade about his comments. Oh, how could he say that? He he mentioned it. He said it. So we can act like it doesn't matter. It still matters and it still resonates to this day. That was the sin that John Paxton tried to cover up by bringing Scotty back and, and Michael, and uh, you know, Michael Reinsdorf tried to cover up by bringing Scotty back and Tony back and paying a lot of these guys as ambassadors. But people don't forget that. And that continues and, and reverberates to this day that the Bulls did that to Jordan. So until we really, like, I think kind of deal with that issue somehow, some way, I still think this is going to hurt us.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I don't disagree with anything that you sort of noted there. I, I think, I think the Bulls could still, obviously. Obviously, still put together a pretty dank good team in spite of that. We've seen them do that, obviously, with during the, the Tibbs and Rose days. But I, I take your point. I understand your frustration. And I look, it's certainly some, it's one that I think about all the time. I, I, I'd i hate to think where the Chicago Bulls would be had Michael Jordan not sort of landed at that number three pick or, or had the, uh, the Blazers, you know, done the right thing and taken Jordan at number two. I would hate to think where this franchise would be right now. It certainly wouldn't be what it is at the moment, but it's a, it's a fair point, but it sort of illustrates. That the Reinsdorf's are the issue, have always been the issue. They will continue to be the issue, irrespective of what goes on beyond them. Uh, look, we'll always have our frustrations, at least I will, with John Paxson. Even though the ownership is limiting, they they aren't the best ownership going around. There are still things that I will always have issues with John Paxson for. But, I mean, you know, the point you're illustrating here is that ownership is a problem as well, and that's fair. But to that point, I mean, they do limit this team. They do limit this team in terms of operating like a small market team. And and that's my biggest frustration with this team right now, the fact that they aren't operating like the Lakers or the Knicks. And obviously those two franchises have been embarrassments for various reasons, but at least they went out there and tried to do things, which I do respect. I'm coming back to that point, but I do like that fact. But I don't know. Buchanan, it, it might be an okay move, but who the hell knows? Who knows? The Knicks paid an insane amount of money for Phil Jackson. Like, didn't work out. He was
1: terrible for them. They still tried. They took a massive swing and they struck out. Um, the Bulls would have never done anything like that. You know, I, I can't imagine it in a million years. I do think – I do want to take a step back because I've seen you really equate John Paxson with Gar Foreman. I think that's unfair. I don't think they are anywhere near remotely um, comparable. Uh, John Paxson, you know, obviously played for the first three title teams. He was a coach on the best team of all time in 70 uh, – that won 72-10 in 95-96. It won a title. He was an announcer during the Krause years, and he saw what a disaster that was. Foreman was a part of that disaster. Foreman, if you look at all the major issues over the last 20 years, with the exception of one, were all Foreman. Jimmy Jimmy Butler's trainer tweet, tweeting about what a what a lying person he was. The issues with Ron Adams. All those were Foreman issues. The one issue that Paxson had was strangling Vinny Del Negro. Big picture. The players loved that. Noah loved that. Why did he strangle him? <laughs> he played over his minutes limit. It's
0: not justifiable. You can't, you, there's no way you can justify Paxson strangling Vinny Del Necro as anything but terrible. No, no, no. Uh, from from Jakeem
1: Noah's viewpoint, it absolutely was because they know John had his back. He was defending his player ahead of a coach who was putting his career in front of the player. There was a strict minutes limit on Noah when that happened. He violated that minutes limit, trying to win a game, putting the health of Noah, and winning a game ahead of the health of Noah in the long term. And Noah respected that. I've been blessed to talk to a few scouts outside of this organization. Everyone has had nothing but good things to say about John Paxson and his ability to be a GM. I can't say the same for Gar Foreman. So, I mean, equating the two and acting like they're both equal and they're both, what you've done, is not an accurate statement it's not a fair statement i don't think it's a true statement like i understand they're both going to get reassigned they're both going to get moved right but well, are they, i don't think are they
0: foreman is but Paxson might not
1: again this is another issue we're going to get to probably get to on this show or not i don't care all that matters is who has the last decision if john paxton is still getting paid by the bulls organization for whatever and he's not making the last decision that's all you should care about that's all that matters Who makes the last decision on who we draft, who we sign, what trades we make? If John Paxton isn't involved with that, why are you so upset about it? Why does it matter?
0: I, I wouldn't care about if he's in the, if he's in the background, not necessarily having much of a say, then I wouldn't care about if he's still, if the runs are still paying. But if he is in the background, still having some sort of influence, then I will care about it because ultimately, whether it's Foreman endorsing these, these decisions or whether it's hot bringing in Hoiberg, whether it's a decision to trade Jimmy Butler, whatever it is, Gar Foreman reports into John Paxson. John Paxson reports into ownership. Gar Foreman can't do anything he wants to do without John Paxson's okay without Reinsdorf's okay so i don't I don't want Gar Foreman to be the lone scapegoat here because that is completely unfair as well, so that is more, more so my point that i that I'm trying to make I, from here that I heard, don't
1: from what I've heard, I don't think John Paxson won any part of Dwayne Wade. I think he was overruled in that decision i from what I've heard, John Paxson didn't have a, definitely did not want to lose Kyle Korver. He was overruled in that decision. Like,
0: Well, who's overruling him? The only one that can overrule Paxson is ownership. That's yes, the only one. that's
1: correct. And, and Gar Foreman had a very tight relationship with Michael Reinsdorf. Both of those guys, from what I've heard, and I don't have proof, but I do know people work for the organization. I do believe that John Paxson wanted no part of Dwayne Wade. I think that was a Gar Foreman, Michael Reinsdorf decision. So for someone who was – I, I agreed with Gar Foreman in that – I liked the Dwayne Wade signing for the reason I outlined before that it began to reverse the perception um, that Wade had stated in 2010. We're not going to go to the Bulls because they treat their players like crap and look what they did to Michael. That was a big reason why I supported that signing. But that said, if you're against that decision and Paxson was for, was in agreement with you, I mean, you should take some solace in that. I know you won't, but you can't keep on equating those two because they're not the same. They both come from different things. Uh, Foreman came from the virus that was Krauss bringing in Floyd.
0: I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I almost don't care about what Paxson did 20, 30 years ago. I'm more interested in about what John's been doing in the last five years, which is more relevant to the situation we're in now. now. He doesn't deserve a lifetime pass on things that, he's, that potentially worked well previously. And i I'm willing to 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 accept and to suggest that Paxton has obviously done some good things during his time, but at the moment over the last five years, particularly the last two years, this has been his rebuild. He's been running the ship, Gar Foreman has already been sort of put away into the background, so to me, if Foreman is the only one that's changing, he's going into a scouting role, a role that he's probably already in. John Paxton remains as that v p and we just get a new general manager in place, whether that's Chad Buchanan or someone else, then to me, that nothing changes, and that's why I'll be disappointed. But if John Paxson moves into an advisor role, isn't necessarily having the last save, we get a couple of new faces in here, then maybe things change. So I'm, I'm prepared to wait and see, but if Paxson remains and still has influence, then I'm going to have a problem with it, and I guess that's my All I my can main say point. is
1: with the Chicago White Sox, Kenny Williams, which is another Rheinsdorf-owned organization, Kenny Williams was quote-unquote bumped upstairs. Rick Hahn came in, and he became the general manager. And from I know people work for that organization. Everyone has told me Rick Hahn makes the decisions. If that's the case with the Chicago Bulls, none of us should lose any sleep because you're getting someone else to make decisions. Hopefully, that will be a competent pick. I think we're both in agreement. Who knows if Buchanan's the answer. Uh, I like it better than everybody throwing out an agent like – I, I, I Bartlestein, Bartlestein, like, give me a break. Like, what, what what agents have done great jobs in the GM position? We're going to point to the Lakers? Really? What did he do?
0: <laughs> he did. No, I, I'm most definitely against the Bartlestein thing because it's another connection to the Reinsdorfs. So we want outside voices who have no real connection to them. I don't want another nepotistic hire type thing. That would be, that would be disastrous in my opinion.
1: Agreed. Bartlestein couldn't even recruit the best players into his agency. How's he going to recruit him into the Chicago Bulls? Like, (laughs) give me a break! Like, what what's the best player he has on his team? Uh, um, He's got Brad Bradley Beal, very good player. He's not top five. Doesn't have LeBron. Doesn't have any of the Anthony, you know, Davis. Come on, it's insane. I can't believe this is like being bandied about as a possible choice. At least I feel better. It's not Sam Hinkie.
0: I mean the the only reason why it's bandied about is because of his connection to the dwarfs. So that that that's why it's a thing. But I mean, chances are, Fred, we're going to be talking about this for the remaining weeks going forward because it's probably going to be the biggest and most sweeping news that we have as Bulls fans to talk about. I'm I'm sure the 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 Bulls beat will be all over this because it is the biggest, most pressing topic amongst the team. That and and obviously the coaching decision, what happens thereafter. So we'll see how all that transpires. But. I've had enough talking about the Bulls. I think, I think each episode going forward, Fred, given how bad things are with our Bulls right now, we have to sort of do some things or just talk about some different things that maybe can get our mind away from the Chicago Bulls. And we've got a few ideas up our sleeves for the next few weeks coming forward, but I do know for this episode, you wanted to bring up Star Wars for whatever reason. Yes. I, I know you're a big, avid Star Wars fan. Uh, look, I I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but the fact that it's not Chicago Bulls, I, I'm more prepared to talk about Star Wars than the Chicago Bulls at this point. So, how about it? What What did you want to discuss?
1: Let's get into Star Wars. Before we do that, I think this is a good idea. I think we need to, at this point, if you if you're not interested in any of our, you know, timely topics um you know you can always turn off but i think we should introduce some additional topics one of them i want to get to next week is the incredible so i i tonight i had a trivia night i don't know if i mentioned this it was a fundraiser for my kids school i've done the trivia questions every year for the past uh like seven years and every year it gets more and more amazing but this year was (laughs) a really good one where i had lyrics i I presented lyrics and songs people had to guess the uh, the band and the year that the song came out. So uh, here's one. Sometimes I feel that I don't have a partner. Sometimes I feel that my only friend is the city I live in, the city of angels. Uh, lonely as I am, together we cry. What, what's that?
0: This is the Chili Peppers.
1: There we go. What year? 91. 91. 91 was an amazing year for music. <laughs> I, I want to get into the sheer amount of albums. Incredible. Transformational albums that came out in that year.
0: What say you? well? I'll, I'm looking forward to discussing that network Next week, let's do that. Let's let's drum up. We'll need a segment idea, a name for this segment at least. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the idea. drawing board on that one. But let's talk Star Wars. I, I want to talk Star Wars. I want to get your takes on on Star Wars. But uh, I certainly want to revisit the uh, the music one next week because I'm sure we're going to have some differing opinions in that one next week. But let's talk Star Wars. What were your What did you want to talk about? So.
1: Kevin Anderson of NBC Sports, the fantastic human, uh, even Great better, uh, more impressive um, basketball knowledge, inc- incredible stuff. But probably his most amazing uh, attributes are his knowledge of Star Wars. He's a, he's a <laughs> wizard when it comes to Star Wars. And recently, I had him on. Well, he's going to be on this week. He's going to give us his. He gave us his top ranking of the movies this week. I asked him to come up with his top ten scenes across all twelve Star Wars movies. And so my question to you is, Mark, what do you feel is the best scene in all of the Star Wars movies? And I, and I think you should come to this, and anyone who's listening, by closing your eyes in a dark room and um, trying breathing in, then reaching out using the Force. And think about what's the first scene that comes to your head when you think of Star Wars?
0: To me, because like I said, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. I've certainly seen them all. I do enjoy watching them, but I wouldn't call myself a, a huge Star Wars fan. But I love any any scene that Palpatine is in. I mean, okay. you know, I think he's a great character. He's a fantastic character. Any any time he exposes the Jedi as the weak force that they are, I do appreciate. I hate the <laughs> spoken Jedi. like a true uh,
1: doggable nation disciple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Jedi suck the Jedi are <laughs> terrible they're they the worst, but I don't know. I was thinking about this because you would definitely ask me to uh to to, to prep for this, and uh, I I guess it would have to be some sort of fight scene, whether it's the the Darth Maul scene, whether it's uh, Yoda versus Dooku, one of those scenes, which is kind of ironic to say, given how bad the prequels were, but I think some of those fight scenes are pretty damn iconic, so I'd have to go to one of those two, I I, I would imagine. Maybe when when Anakin becomes Darth and he's sort of getting molded into that suit after the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith or whatever it's called. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty dope scene as well. So they're they're probably the ones that jump, jump to mind straight away when I close my eyes and do whatever you said to do before. <laughs>
1: okay, well that's so interesting. You would go to the prequels. I'm absolutely shocked. That would be the first thing you would go to. But you're a little bit younger than I, so you're like five years or four years younger than me. So it would 40, make sense. 40
0: years, yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> okay, so for me, it's without a doubt, um, I think the best scene in any Star Wars movie. Is in Return of the Jedi, where Luke is kind of hiding from Vader, and Vader's kind of like reading his feelings, you know, and kind of, kind of like egging him on a little bit. And then he says, "Sister," and he realizes you have a twin sister. If she, if you will not turn to dark, dark side, perhaps she will. No, and then he comes out enraged, and and just you know uses using the basically the dark side of force takes Vader down. Starts and, ch- and cuts off his ha- arm. I think it's the best scene right there that leads up into palpiting, uh, walking up laughing. And then he throws it away, he throws away his lightsaber. I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. Uh, and I will never turn to the doctor. I love that. To me, that's the essence of our relationship. Uh, the <laughs> dance, the dance with Dog of Old Nation, where there's a few times where I'm hiding from Dog of Nation and then all of a sudden, you guys, something will happen in a Bulls game and I'll come out swinging with the lightsaber. But right before I'm about ready to, you know, f- say fire guard packs or something like that, I throw away the lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, is that how you feel about this whole dynamic? Eh?
1: <laughs> What's that? What's that?
0: That—that's how you feel about this whole dynamic. That I'm the the, the 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 dark side within you. The the Palpatine trying to influence you. Is that how you feel? This is all. Say, how this all comes together.
1: You say so many things on Twitter that bring out my worst side. Like I, I think it's. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily healthy. Where you'll say something, and I'm like, God, I got to respond to this. You know, like I, I, I need to. I need to just say something. And I don't think that's good, but it's entertaining.
0: I'm sure for a lot of people. Yeah. For me, it's definitely entertaining. (laughs) It's certainly entertaining for me, (laughs) but uh, no, I just, that's a great scene.
1: Don't you like that?
0: I do like that scene. I do like that scene. I mean, you're you're right though. The first three, even though they are terrible movies, they they probably resonate more with me because they were, I was sort of was growing up during those years, so that's probably why they come more to my mind. And I guess that's more of an extended scene, the one that you sort of referenced there, or maybe it's not too too dissimilar to the ones that I posed before. But I, I kind of like the action scene, so I like that, and I like to see Yoda actually do something rather than just sitting around, just pondering, trying to be very wise when he's actually pretty dumb, and, and just let this whole thing let this whole situation unfold the way he, the way he did if he had some so if he was the all-conquering master that he was supposedly meant to be then none of this situation plays out it, it's, just, it's just ridiculous but Yoda sucks anyway it was good to see him do some actual good stuff <laughs> and fight Dooku that was cool I'll give him that much but Darth Maul growing up that was a so that, that character was so cool so seeing Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon go at it that that was a dope scene as well I think I'd have to have that one number one
1: what a yeah, what a waste too I felt of like a, a great character oh, in, in yeah. Darth Maul. Like he barely got any screens on. I know. I know. To me, the biggest loss in that movie was the scene where, if you recall, um it was in the desert where they were trying to get away from him. And then there was like one moment where he's following them on the bike. You remember Anakin Duck and then ran yeah. the him And it is the worst fight scene. That should have been like an epic two hour fight scene, you know, where he's fighting them just going, you know, and he barely gets away. And it's like, it, it was the worst. Oh, my God. I still get angry about it, thinking at that theater. And I remember looking around, I'm like, I can't believe this is what is happening to my beloved yeah. Star Wars.
0: Yeah, it was disappointing. Because he, he I remember, I'm just trying to think. When did that come out? Was it not 99 or something? Yeah, 99
1: or 2000. I remember I was living, uh, yeah, with a, living a single life with a good uh, buddy of mine. And we were like, <laughs> uh, we were like... Uh, Let's go see Star Wars. I mean, we, we were like pretty excited. I remember it was like a last second thing. We went to the midnight show and I just remember looking around. And I'm like, I, after like halfway through it, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. It was like the, the, it was like this bull season. It's kind of like, I'm looking around like halfway through wondering like, what the hell just happened? Like every, all my yeah, dreams have been shattered.
0: Yeah. I look, I remember being maybe 10 or 11 or something like that. When, when the first one came out, well, the, the first prequel came out, let's say. And I remember I had a book of the Star Wars, the book of the movie, and on the front cover was Darth Maul just snarling. And to me, at that point, he was one of the most scariest characters I'd ever seen. But then when you watch the movie, so I had the book before I, I had I, I, I um, went to see the movie. But when you watch the movie, he's barely in the damn thing, and it was disappointing. They they let that one they let that one go, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm certainly not the Star Wars disciple that Kevin Anderson is, so you, I'm sure you're going to have a better conversation with him on Chicago Bullseye than I than than I could possibly. Muster up with you, but I, I just wanted to make that clear that Yoda sucks, the Jedi <laughs> sucks. <laughs> The Yo, Last Jedi too. is the best movie of all those nine movies. Rogue One is damn that good is as the well. The
1: dumbest statement you've ever made. The Rise long, of Skywalker a is a terrible line.
0: movie. The way it ends is just absolutely shocking. Ray becoming a Skywalker is the biggest lamest crap I've ever seen ever. <laughs> so <laughs> I just wanted to also let you, let you know that you may think I'm actually triggering you or trying to trigger you, or trying to force out the dark side in you right now. But these are legitimate feelings that I actually feel. I, I, I'm so terrible t- movie that one. I was disappointed.
1: I'm so tired right now. I'm just gonna let it. I'm gonna pull some Yoda Jedi mind tricks and just let it elevate some rocks and just let that anger go right through me. I do gotta say I want to do this also for Rocky movies. So okay. I have a. Are you into Rocky movies?
0: I haven't seen Rocky movies for ages. I'll have to rewatch them before we do.
1: Rocky movies are the most important influence in my life, probably outside <laughs> of my parents and my. Like I believe, I firmly believe this. You can teach any child everything they need to know in life by watching Rocky three and Rocky four on a continuous loop for a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. It tells you how to deal with success, how to return from tough defeats. Everything you need to know is there. And actually I had a daughter first and I was kind of shocked. I just assumed I'd have nothing but boys and that was great. <laughs> um, but you know, I needed to pass on my family name because um, long story, I'm one of the few left who can do that. So we had to try again. And I watched Rocky Three and Rocky Four for about three straight weeks. I ate nothing but beef jerky and lifted weights, and then we had a boy. So that's
0: uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's a secret. There you of- go. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Should I ever decide to um, <laughs> ever decide to bring some kids into the world, and I desperately want a boy, I'll, I'll start hitting the gym, start eating some jerky, and see what I can do. I suppose. What's uh,
1: another thing? Rocky Three plus Rocky Four equals seven.
0: Seven oh, <laughs> Bringing it back to the bulls Oh, I think, we're, yeah, we're, we're, this is probably the best time to end the podcast. Right? <laughs> I think you're right.
1: I'm
0: <laughs> I, like, I don't think we're later, gonna get any man, better.
1: My voice is shot.
0: Yeah, no, no, fair enough. We'll let you go. We'll let you prepare your your teaching lessons to kids tomorrow. I'm sure they've got to watch Rocky three and four for the four hundredth time tomorrow. So I'll let you get away to get in some um to sleep to, to to prepare for that, but also to get that voice right for next week. But Fred, I appreciate you joining me. On bulls hq this time around of course you'll be doing that going forward every time going now for those who weren't aware fred is now the co-host of bulls hq along with me so very happy freddy's along for the ride here obviously you can follow him on twitter at CBE Fred. You can listen into his own separate podcast as well, Chicago Bullseye, on, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you want to get your normal podcast. You can obviously get Chicago Bullseye. Listen to that after you're done listening to Bulls HQ. Follow me on Twitter at MKHoops. Follow the show at Bulls HQ Pod. Send us an email, Bulls HQ Pod at gmail.com. Be part of our Bulls HQ Discord channel as well if you want to talk about the Bulls in real time with other Bulls fans. Be part of that. And Fred, I've got to ask you: Why are you not part of the Bulls HQ Discord channel now that you are part of uh, now that you are part of Bulls HQ? You have to join. People keep asking you to join. I think
1: I'll do that now. I I was worried it was some kind of cult that you're going to try to sell (laughs) me. It is a cult. Something through Amway or something like. uh, I was worried about it, but now that I'm a part of the team, I I guess I do have to join. I promise I will. I got to tell you, Mark, this is going well. I feel so much better than I did at the start of this podcast it's been kind of therapeutic and uh, I think this has been good we really are now the Donnie and Marie of uh, Bulls Podcasts.
0: well there you go I'm I'm, I'm glad to hear that we're also the Palpatine and Darth Maul of Bulls Podcast as well so you have have much to learn my young apprentice but we will get you there
1: (laughs) or at least you're not calling me Yoda
0: sounds good (laughs) no Yoda sucks All right, brother Uh, we're, we're, we're just about done here we'll catch you all again next week Bulls fans speak then